Let's see. Do you know there were probably 1,500 people who came to Orchard Christmas Eve? Isn't that incredible? And so many of you not only were here, but you were helping us make the community feel welcome. And they did and felt very, very blessed. So we appreciate that a lot. But that was then. This is now. And this is the last Sunday of December of this year, which means what? 2020 is coming. It's coming soon. It's coming fast. Have you made your New Year's resolutions yet? Oh, I like that. What about diet and exercise? <laughs> I love it. Man, you guys, um, that's true. Are you going to do that better next year? Oh, wow. Wow. That makes, that just, I know Daniel feels that so much, and I do too. But there's one way that you can love people better next year. In fact, there's a way that you can have a weight taken off your shoulders, and you can live more free in 2020 than you ever have before in your life. 2020 marks the beginning of a decade, and so it's not just for one year. We're talking about a decade's worth of blessing. Are you ready for that? We're going to get into that in just a moment because, well, it's time to clean the slate. It's time to get rid of toxic stuff. It's time to take off the load that you don't need to be carrying and bearing anyway. And there's one way you do that. It's a simple word. It's a complicated, meticulous, spiritual process that we're going to get into. And the way you do that is you forgive. If someone has hurt you, <clears throat> offended you, let you down, talked bad about you, or whatever they have done, you can forgive them. And it will make an incredible, incredible difference. Who do you need to forgive? It may be when I say that, that God's Spirit brings a name, a face to your recollection. And if that's so, I hope that you will covenant with God before this day is over to bring forgiveness. Because we are told in Colossians 3, Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote and he wrote it to Christians scattered throughout the Roman Empire who had been imprisoned and tortured. In Colossians 3.12, <clears throat> Paul writes to those Christians. Isn't that true, Eric? You can turn to it in your Bible if you'd like, or you can read here on the, uh, the screen. These are instructions for people who are followers of Jesus on how to live their new life. This is categorically different than the life they lived before they came to know Jesus and the power of his cross and resurrection. But now that you've experienced Jesus, that you've believed in him and received the Holy Spirit as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with <coughs> compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, if you just took that one verse and lived that out next year, your life would be different, right? And then he goes on to say, bear with each other 
and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance, a grudge against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other words, we have been forgiven. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. And so we are now to forgive others as we have been forgiven. So far, so good? Forgiving others, whoever that person is. Or you may have a list of five, five people. I don't know what your list consists of, what the names are, what the offenses are, what the hurts are. But I know that in counseling sessions, I have sat with people as they have wept over heinous mistreatments, betrayals, hurts. And what I have gone into with them, I'm going to show you this morning. We're going to start with a parable that Jesus told in Matthew 18. Peter came to Jesus and he asked him a question. Matthew 18, 21. Peter said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now the rabbis taught in that day that if your brother or sister offended you three times, you were obligated to forgive them one, did it again, two, did it again, three. But no more. You say, you stepped on my last forgiveness. It ain't happening. He thinks he's being generous. <laughs> Jesus, seven? Seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Another way of translating that is seven times 70. How many is that? Where's my mathematicians? 490, seven times seven. In other words, and this is if the person just keeps on doing it. I think I would move. <laughs> I, would change, I would change friends. But Jesus says, you forgive as often as you are offended. Huge challenge. And then he tells a parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. He began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, in the Greek, uh, it's 10,000 talents. I think they tried to make this more understandable, but that's not even helpful. 10,000 talents. A talent back in the day would equal a day wage earner's wages. Not just for one year, but for 20 years. So in other words, if you were going to pay back one talent, you had to work 20 years and not spend any of it to pay back a talent. You got that? So this is an astronomical amount. 10,000 talents is what this guy owes. <clears throat> Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. Wow. Pretty strict. At, the, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. What are the chances? Well, in the first place, if you owe your master that much money, you have been very irresponsible along the way with a lot of money. There's no chance he could pay back that debt. And so the servant's master had compassion on him and canceled 
the debt and let him go. Now, how would you feel if you owed more than you could ever pay back and someone said, you know what? It's okay. You don't owe me that anymore. Whoa, would you sleep differently that night? Would you feel so good that you were no longer in debt? What if someone paid off your mortgage, credit cards, anything you owe? What if someone just said, here, you are now no longer in any debt. You're free from debt. Would you feel good? Oh, wow. This guy probably felt good, but he didn't show it very well. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Actually, that means 100 denarii. A denarii is a day's wages. The guy owed him day's wages for a third a year of work. Now, in today's terms, uh, minimum wage, that would be $11,700. In today's terms, it would take 200,000 years to work off 10,000 talents because that would be $7.6 billion. When Jesus told this story, I think he was trying to make the point, you have a debt you cannot pay. It's like, well, I owe a zillion dollars. Never going to pay that. But he took his fellow servant who owed him just a tiny sliver of that, grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell down and said the magic words this guy had just said to the master, be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant! I canceled the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just like I had on you? Like you experienced. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back what he owed. Now, I think torture is pretty well a full day's work, and, and you're not really going to be able to make money to pay something back while you're being tortured, unless you're being paid to be, and you're not paid to be tortured. There was no way. In fact, Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you will forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You will be turned over to be tortured if you refuse to forgive. Now, how, how could that be? You see, let me describe it to you this way because there are many people perhaps here today and you are in the torture chamber. You didn't know it. Sometimes you do, but you don't really understand what it is. You see, unforgiveness means that we are angry, we resent, and we have bitterness toward the person who hurt or wounded us, who offended us. Unforgiveness dictates that I replay the offense over and over. Have you ever been offended, treated badly by someone? And that very day, maybe several dozen times, maybe a hundred times, you review visually that instance of being offended. After you review it one time, how do you feel? 
How about the hundredth time? Because every time you review it, that person looks worse and you look more innocent. By 100 views, you look like an innocent baby. No culpability. And the other person's wearing a hockey mask. And, and in those reviews, you are, you don't think so, you are mentally torturing yourself. Now, in among those reviews, we have other visuals of revenge. And that means we get them back. Sometimes it looks like this. They did that to me. They said that to me. And in my replaying of it, I'm going to tell them off. Bam, cut them off at the knees. Ha! Feels good, doesn't it? To get revenge in your mind towards someone that hurts you, doesn't that just feel so good? Or see me choking them, slapping them around. Or when they have a bad day, and I read in the paper where they, their house burned or something, I'm like, yes, there is justice. And we carry that around. Those reviews can last. In fact, a lady just told me today, she forgave her brother of an offense he committed nine years ago. She tearfully told me she forgave him. You may have been carrying something a year, 10 years, a lifetime. And it has been torturing you because you have allowed it in the torture chamber of your mind, strapped yourself in, taped your eyes open, watching this horrible thing over and over and getting worked up because he's getting away with it. How could that happen? Well, I'm going to run over in my car. And we see all this in our mind. We tell our friends about this guy. We do everything we can to get even. The problem is, is that there's one offense. One offense I need to forgive. After I have reviewed that offense 100 times, how much forgiveness does that person need before I'm off the hook? 101. If that person came to me after my 100th review of the offense and said, I realize I was wrong, please forgive me. You're like, are you kidding me? A hundred more times you need to ask me for forgiveness for that one thing. Unforgiveness, anger, bitterness, resentment puts us in the torture chamber. It's called nursing a grudge. The grudge doesn't get better, it just gets worse. You've heard it said perhaps that unforgiveness is when you drink poison and wait for the other person to die. <laughs> I got you that time. Because it poisons our soul. The cumulative total of reviewing that much hurt and pain, at the end of the day, you will not be a pleasant person. It will negatively impact your relationships, your decisions, your business, your school, whatever you may be doing. You will be bent over, under that load. It punishes you, not the offender. So let's forgive. Is everybody ready? You ready to get out of the torture chamber? You never realized it before that the torture happens. You do it to yourself in your own mind. Let's forgive. 
Now, if you look up forgiveness online, then you will find this. And you've got to believe it if it's online, right? Now, the truth of the matter is that this is what passes for forgiveness. If you were to go to a counselor or take a, a course, this is what you would learn. Psychologists generally define forgiveness as a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment for vengeance or to get back toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness. Did you get, did you get that? You, if, you, if, you re, if you forgive, you're simply releasing your anger and your resentment and your desire to get even. Do you realize what that's saying? Get over it. It doesn't deal with the offense. It just deals with your feelings against the offense. What are the chances you can forgive? What are the chances you can get over it if nothing happens to the original debt that's still there to be paid? Nothing. And the definition of forgive follows along the line of forgiveness. Stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. Can you just get over it? Calm yourself. Don't feel that way. You ever been told not to feel a certain way? What are the chances? Because the cause of the feeling is still unattended. There's a secondary definition of forgive that snuck in there that's almost biblical. And that is to cancel the debt. To cancel, you, you no longer owe me. If you loan someone $100 and they're going to pay you back next week and they don't pay you back and it's a small town, you begin seeing them, they duck away from you, they're embarrassed. And so you say, hey, wait. And you, go, you say, hey, our relationship's worth more to me than $100. I forgive you the debt. I cancel it. And, and, and you know, that's a good thing. Who paid the $100? That person didn't. Who absorbed the debt? You did. When someone offends you and you forgive them, you take the pain and you free them from consequences that you would want to impose in your mind. When you forgive, it is like letting them get away with it. You, you take the hit. I faced probably the biggest challenge of my life in this area with my younger brother. When uh, I left for college, and by the way, Baptist College, so you know I was a good boy. My younger brother, who was a freshman in high school, began doing what you would call now at-risk behavior. He began tobacco, drugs, uh, sex, was one more. Anyway, he did it all. And my mother found out about it and got on him, and he wouldn't stop. And so guess what? She pulled out her big bat. She said, well, your brother, Doug, nice Doug, who's at Baptist College, why can't you be more like him? Bam! So I didn't know this was going on. But when I would come back home on a holiday or for a trip, I noticed my younger brother acting weird around me. Now, as that went on, 
he graduated high school, took some college, and his uh, at-risk behavior continued. Uh, when we would go home to visit, Rebecca and I, or the kids, he would come over to the house where my parents lived, and holy moly, he was like on a warpath against Christians. And he had stories about Christians who were judgmental and hypocritical. You know what's worse than a Christian? A pastor. Oh, and I looked around. I was kind of the only one in the room who was doing that. And he just went off in front of my parents. And I'm sitting there like, and he's going off. I, I, I could have said, you drunken, losing failure. And you're, you're putting me down? No, I didn't. And I did not allow myself to incorporate or to take what he was saying. But it got harder because he worked with my dad at the radio and TV shop, selling, repairing TVs and radios. He, uh, my dad wanted to retire, so Dudley, his name, he uh, wanted to buy it and then pay my parents a good bit of money for my parents having the store and the clients for 40 years, and then give my dad a place to work and pay him to work on into his retirement. And it'd be wonderful. My parents still had a mortgage on their house. But it wasn't long that under his mismanagement, the store failed. In a last effort, he had my parents put their house on a note to borrow money to keep the store going. It failed. He was not paying anything back. In fact, when he declared bankruptcy, he included what he owed my parents in his bankruptcy. My dad, whom I revere, had never really acted toward my brother like my mother had. Bitterness, resentment, criticism, accusation. My dad had loved him through it all. Yet my dad and mom now without work, without income, faced the prospects of losing their home, not able to pay their utilities. And my dad went to work at a gas station where you've got a little building in the middle and then the, the gas pumps on the side. The first time I went down to see my parents, he was working there. I went down to see my dad. He was in a glass booth. It broke my heart. I struggled to forgive. My review could have been seeing my parents destitute. Not just reliving what he had done, not so much to me, although there was that, but what he had done to my parents. But I knew if I allowed myself to dwell on that, to sour within on that, it would ruin me from the inside out it would negatively affect my ministry, family, every relationship, every decision. Thank God. God's word spoke clearly to me that I am to forgive as I've been forgiven. You see, Jesus, when he died on the cross, took the punishment for your sin. He paid $7.6 billion for you. And said, you don't owe anymore. I paid all that you owe. And then he said, and you go and forgive 
those who've sinned against you, $11,700 or whatever it may be. So Jesus dying on the cross, as described in Colossians 3, Colossians 3, I think 12, 13, Paul again is writing to Christians so they can be able to live in the freedom and power of what Jesus had done for them. Eric, we got that? When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Next verse. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Can you imagine someone tearing up a signed document that says you owe and have to pay the rest of your life, tearing it up? He, he uh, tore it up. It, it stood against us. It condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He suffered because of our offense. And he says, now you, by the power of the Holy Spirit within you as a believer, you can take suffering and you can forgive. You can clear the slate. And you may be thinking, well, Doug, how, how does that work? I can't even imagine how that would work. I tried to forgive, but then it didn't seem like I'd forgiven. What I'm going to tell you next is a very precise and judicial procedure that you will need to employ, hopefully sometime today, for you to be free of what you may have been holding against someone or someones. If you've never taken a note in a sermon before, please open the bulletin, take out your notebook, get a pen. You're going to want to write this down. It's not hard, and you'll be glad you did. And you'll be preparing yourself a document that you can use later. It will be your document of emancipation from the torturers of what people have done to you. That sound good? What you do on that sheet of paper, you draw a line right down the middle. A line right down the middle. On the left-hand side, you write offense. Offenses, hurt, on the left-hand side, oh, by the way, hopefully you have a place at your house where you sit down daily, open your Bible, and you have a notebook to make notes of the verses that you read. If you don't, this would be a great time to establish a habit for the new year, to spend time with God. In that sacred place, at a certain time every day, you sit down with God and you say, God, my Father, I am going to revisit the hurt and pain this person has introduced into my life. God, I will need your comfort and the power of your Spirit to go through this without getting sidetracked on another revenge or hurt lane. God, be with me. I am in the court of heaven, and in the heavenly court, Lord God, I write down the offense. Let's say the person's, is there anybody here named Jack? Okay, I'm going to write down the offense that Jack did this. It hurt so bad. It uh, cost me. 
And I'm going to write down, is anyone here named Matilda? Okay. Our Matilda said this about me, and she hurt me, and I no longer have friends because of what she did. So in other words, you're, and I can't emphasize this enough, be very specific. You don't just say, oh, I forgive them. Oh, no, you're just allowing the attic of your mind to be inhabited by torturers continually. You've got to be specific. And there may be one person with a dozen offenses. It may take a notebook. But are you willing to be free enough to do the work? To forgive judicially, spiritually? So you write all this down, and on the right-hand side of the page, you write, forgive. And then you take the very first one. You do it one at a time. One at a time. Father, I forgive Jack for doing this. I release him from further punishment review. In my mind, you sign it and you date it. It's done. Does that make sense? Are you cringing? Or are you inside saying, yes, I've needed this for so long? I don't know who it is in your books who needs this kind of forgiveness. This is judicial. Write the word down on your little chart. Judicial. Now, the next thing you do, number two, is enforcement. Write that down. Enforcement. Now, this is why you need enforcement. When you get up from this quiet time with God, having judicially forgiven and released this person, and you go refill your coffee that's gotten cold, a thought will, a thought will come to your mind. Yeah, but what he did, look at that. And at that point, you begin to enforce, and you say, stop. This is over. This is over. I no longer will review that. That thought visual will never enter my mind again. Ten seconds later, when you put the cake up in, it's like, yeah, but look what he did to your sister. Yeah, look at that. Stop. I refuse to let that into my mind because I have forgiven. Check it out right there in the court of heaven. It's done. Jesus forgave me. I have forgiven that person, and I release them from ever reviewing in my mind the offense they did to me. I release myself from suffering through the remembrance or review of that offense. Sound like a simple process? But it's so hard. Don't sit down to do this until you have prayed and say, God, my Father, by the power of your Spirit, be with me with your comfort because I'm re-entering a very painful experience in my life. And I can tell you, I've sat with people who have heinous mistreatments 
who have worked through this and began to experience freedom for the first time. I would like to ask you, and, and you can respond to me by a simple thing, by nodding your head. Nobody will see or hear. And, and if you don't want to, you can go like this. Like, no, I'm not doing it. But I'd ask you, and it's important that you do something to follow up tangibly. Uh, will you covenant with God today to forgive that person or persons who has offended you? Wow. Does my heart good. As a pastor, it just does my heart good to see people who are going to live the new year free. Free. When you forgive, you are not necessarily allowing that person into your life to do that over again. You don't have to trust that person. Sometimes there's boundaries that you set. But in the forgiveness part that goes on in your mind, in the court of heaven, you clean it out. You clean the slate. You remove from the real estate of your mind any people who have offended you in the past. About 10 years ago, my friend Steve White, some of you knew him, uh, he discovered a, a, a sentence in a Bible verse that freed him up. Now, he didn't go to seminary or anything, but every day, he sat down with his Bible open, and he would read, and he would absorb and write down what God had spoken to him. And he found in 1 Corinthians 13, these words that are descriptive of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. All right, you guys said you want to love God, love people better, right? Love does not envy, doesn't boast, not proud. Go ahead. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrongs. When Steve saw those words, one, two, three, four, five, six words, it keeps no record of wrongs. We were probably camping and around a fire, and he said, that's it. That's it. God doesn't keep any record of my wrongs. It's all clear. Jesus paid it. And he doesn't want me to keep any record of my wrongs. He wants me to remove wrongs from my list. And he doesn't want me to keep a record of anyone's wrongs against me. I'm free. And I thought, wow, I've been to seminary. I didn't see that. He was free. And you will find yourself, when you keep no record of wrongs, you can't be judgmental and keep no record of wrongs. It may seem like you're letting them off, like it's injustice, but actually what you're doing is mercy. You're not giving a person what they deserve in your own mind. And I can tell you, the end of the story of my brother, because when you are willing to forgive each time there's an offense and keep the forgiveness fresh, not let any offenses linger, no bitterness lingers, 
there will come a time, perhaps, well, my father died first, and my father made my brother promise to take care of my mother, who had been critical and bitter toward him most of his life. So he's taking care of my mom, and we have to start talking a little bit because she's getting older too. Three years later, she died. So I went down for the funeral, family and I, and Dudley and I talked. And we began to redevelop a relationship. We began to talk by telephone. Just little stuff, uh, what's going on. And then I went down, and we were camping around a fire. And we reconciled. He told me that when I left for college, mother began berating him for not being like me. He began to be jealous because he thought I was the favored son. He held it against me, held it against them, and spent 40 years vindictively attacking me and my parents, my mom especially, at every occasion. And he acknowledged his wrong and said he was... He said he was sorry that it had robbed us of so much in our lives. And because I had forgiven him every step along the way, I didn't have to unleash anything on him or say, maybe for you, but not for me. I was able to forgive. We were able to embrace. We were able to reconcile and reconnect. And the next four years were incredible as we begin talking about our family and sharing. I had never had the, the privilege of hearing a viewpoint of my brother about a childhood experience, little. And unfortunately, four years later, he died. I am so glad. I am so glad God would not let me hold bitterness and anger so that when it came time, we were able to reconcile. You may not reconcile. The other person may never hear about your forgiveness, but you will be free. And in the best case scenario, it may be possible that a healthy reconciliation can take place. The bread represents Christ's broken body on the cross. The cup, his blood that he shed that you could be forgiven an insurmountable debt. And so when you take communion and you go to your seat, there reaffirm a covenant with God. God, as I have been forgiven, as Jesus took my punishment, I will forgive and name that person and then take the bread and take the cup. Seal it with his communion. And then be willing to do the hard work, hopefully before the end of this year, so that you can enter 2020 completely free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for giving us really the only way out. Humanly, it's not even possible to forgive or be free. But by the power of your spirit and by your death and resurrection, you have given us the example, the way, the power to be free and to forgive. Thank you for that. And enable us, give us the strength and power 
now to forgive others. In Jesus' name, amen.